Morning, church. Who's happy for some good weather, huh? I noticed like half the church is gone, so clearly they're happy about it. Um, so for the next three weeks, we're starting our new series. We're going to talk about Jesus, of course, but we're going to talk about specifically what he went through, um, both prior to the cross, on the cross, and right after the cross. And for those that have been in Christianity for a while, you know that this is the most important topic of our faith. Like, this is it. This is the main gig. This is our Super Bowl, is the cross. Um, if you're new here, by the way, I'm Pastor Josiah. We are all about this. If you haven't been through Growth Track, knowing God, finding family, living kingdom-centered lives, and being on mission together. So I'm going to go through those real quick because I want to. I was thinking about it during worship. Knowing God, here's what that means for us. If you've never been here. We want to know the God of the Bible, right? We do not let culture dictate or determine who God is. The Bible determines who God is for us, okay? The second thing is we find family. We literally believe that this will become closer than your immediate fam family. I'm, not, I'm just not just saying that. There's something different about relationship between Christians. You know why? Because we forgive. You know why we forgive? Because we've been forgiven, right? People in this room are going to wrong us. I'm going to wrong people. You're going to wrong me but we're still going to forgive each other and love each other anyway. That creates a unique type of bond and a unique type of family, and that's what we're after at Rock Church. We live kingdom-centered lives, meaning the kingdom of God is first and foremost, and we center our lives around that. We reorder our lives to serve God. I don't go to church when I, my, son doesn't, or my son doesn't have a baseball game. I reorder my life around God. I make church the priority. I make KC the priority. I make God the priority not my other life circumstances. The last one is we're on mission together. Every single one of us, and I preached upon this last week, are called to a greater purpose to do something amazing for the kingdom of God. Yep, and we're on mission together. Quit looking at me like this. So, everybody stand up real quick. I'm gonna read the word of God, and we're gonna get into this. Genesis 2, 15 through 17 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you, may, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The next one, Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over here and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cup or if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the son of God is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. You may be seated. 
Let me pray. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to worship together. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We just pray that this Easter season, our eyes would be opened to greater revelation of the depth of the cross, to the depth of Jesus Christ and who he is. Just like Paul said, I strive to preach nothing else but Christ and Christ crucified. We seek to know nothing else but Christ and Christ crucified. Father, open our eyes, open our hearts, change our souls. Turn us into who you want us to turn into. All God's people said, amen. Amen. So today's message is called The Garden. I'm going to talk about two different gardens. Now, there was an opportunity. Here's the two gardens. The Garden of Eden, which is where we originally came from, right? You know the story of Adam and Eve. God placed us in the garden. I'll get into that in a second. And the second garden is the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed before he was taken to the cross. Now, there's two things that have, or there's a similar thing that happened in both of these gardens that I want to talk about today. It was a challenge, a challenge of this, to believe God at his word and be at rest. Here was the choice, to, be, to believe God at his word and be at rest, or to follow our thoughts and feelings about what is right and wrong. Both gardens had that opportunity to choose one way or the other, to be at rest and believe God's word, right, or to believe our own thoughts and feelings. So I want to turn, first thing, I'm going to dig into this. Genesis 2, 15 through 17, I read it earlier. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now there's a phrase in here that was really fascinating to me when I was digging into this, studying this scripture. What's fascinating about translation is in the original Hebrew, when they try to translate it from Hebrew to English, there's not perfect words that match perfectly. Does that make sense? They're all, that's why different translations have so many different variations. But what's fascinating is this. That saying, took the man and put him in the garden, the verb for put him is different than anywhere else in Genesis. The verb in, means literally in Hebrew, it means to put at rest. I want to pause there for a second. So he put us in the garden, but literally put us to work, but put us at rest. God's intended purpose for us in this earth was to be joyful, fully happy in him, but to ultimately be at peace and be at rest. Someone whistling at that or no? I liked it if they didn't. See, this kind of rest, it denotes not just merely physical rest, but the all-encompassing rest of faith. That is the spiritual rest or salvation that comes from accepting by faith what God has provided. That is the rest that he created us in, okay, in the original garden. What stinks, though, is that Adam, we left that rest and instead chose our own desires to be like God and decide for ourselves what, what's right and what's wrong. See, a lot of people read that initial thing and they said, oh, the only thing they remember about that scripture is you shall not eat of the bad tree, right? That's what we all think of. But what they don't think about is he said, surely eat from all these other amazing trees. See, there's a parallel here to how we deal with God. God gave us all of these beautiful, glorious things, relationships. I mean, go outside today gorgeous beauty everywhere but all we can think about sometimes is what we can't have 
right? And that's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. They fell. Now, for those of you who are thinking, man, I really want to, my cousin used to have this saying, he's like, if I ever met Adam, I'd punch him in the throat. Now, unfortunately, now that's really bad theology because Adam is actually a representation of who? Well, wait, that's true. No, Adam is a representation of you. You are the fallen Adam. I am the fallen Adam. I am the one that chose my own desires over believing God at his word. Yes, but you're right. Those that are Bible scholars back there, Adam in the Romans, you're right. So, I want to go through a couple practical ways when I choose my own thoughts, feelings, and I leave God's intended purpose and rest in my life. I want to show you how it causes chaos. Ready? First one's this. This is my own personal stuff in my life that I've went through that I still battle, but God is giving me victory over time. Amen? First one's this. Finances. Right? God says this. Do not covet. Right? And owe no no, oh, and nothing to any man. Oh, no man anything. I forget how it's phrased. Basically, don't be in debt. All right? I know these things as a believer. Yet, I'm going to tell you a funny story. If anyone has known me for any significant amount of time, you know that I love things. Um, I blame my mom. No, not really. No, it was funny. When I was a kid, she used to do my hair in the bathroom. And I would literally stand in the mirror while she had to get this perfect part, like comb over thing. And I remember we'd fight and I, she sent me to school and I'd be crying because it didn't look right. Like I, since a little tiny kid, have been completely obsessed with the way that I look and like vain things. So when it comes to finances, the problem is, is that's an expensive hobby. Things. Um, and I've always, has anyone ever bought a new car? You know that feeling you get when you get a new car? Like your life is just awesome for like a week. Then guess what happens? It goes right back to normal. <laughs> so anyway, I went through a phase, right? I'm a new business owner. We start making money. And of course, I'm not wise. I don't save it. I just go buy things. So I went through a phase where I was buying cars all the time. Let me tell you how well this does not go. So I bought a Jeep, and I like jacked this Jeep up. I put like super expensive tires on it and wheels. And then I got passionate for a minute. And I'm like, you know what? Like this car is way too much money, and I'm in debt. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to, like, just drive a crappy car. This is how extreme I am. Some of you guys remember this story. So what I do is I go trade the car in, and I buy, like, a 1980 brown... Dad, you remember what it was? I called it Brown Betty, but it was literally a $2,000 junker. And so I'm like, you know what? I don't even care what anyone thinks. I'm driving around. Can you guys guess how long I lasted? Two weeks later, I bought a BMW. (laughs) That is a 100% true story. But here's the problem. That's really funny and everything. I get it. But debt, guess what happens? You become a slave to that debt. Right? God says, oh, no man, anything. Don't covet. Don't have pride of the eyes, pride of life. Right? All of that is from the world. And what it causes, it causes me to be a slavery to what people think. Right? A slavery to owing man money. So what God intended for good, I turned it, I left rest and went to work. Do you see that? Now, unfortunately, I 100% know that I'm not alone when it comes to spending money. Um, Dave Ramsey's site says 80% of America 
Eight out of 10 people. Eight out of 10 people in this room are strapped with debt. And that's pretty tough. That's hard to hear, but that tells me one thing. We're still trying to purchase things to fill that hole in our heart. Right? We're still leaving God's intended rest and trying to fill a void. We think that that's going to fill the emptiness that is inside, and guess what it does for like three hours? And then you go right back to where you were. We're obsessed with things. We're obsessed with comfort. And also another one is sex. God gave us a beautiful thing in sex to be inside of marriage. And yet in our culture, it's extremely difficult because we idolize sex above almost anything else. Did you guys see the dance Cardi B put on last week? Did you hear about it? It's sad to me that we're idolizing sex in such a way that a female grows up thinking that be the best that I can be is to be extremely sexually attractive. And that stinks because guess what? Females are a whole lot more than that. The average age of first exposure to pornography in our world is 11 years old. As many as 93% of boys and 62% of girls see their first porn before they are 18. Early exposure to porn is correlated with increased porn use and addiction later in life. The sex issue is a huge issue in our culture, and it's something, and guess what, we're slaves to it. American culture is enslaved to sex. Imagine a world where we didn't have to walk around thinking about it all the time, about how we looked. Am I in shape enough? Am I attractive enough? Am I whatever? Right? We've gone into slavery when God wants us at rest. And trust me, I am a guy. I have dealt with this stuff. In the, at our disposal on a phone, we can have access to anything we want to look at at any moment. It's exactly what the enemy wanted, and it has made us slaves to it. So again, I'm trying to show you that you and I both, all of us, are the original Adam that left his intended rest and stepped into slavery. And that's how we dealt with the garden. But now, hold on, there's good news now that you're all serious. Now I want to move into how Jesus dealt with the garden. Let's go to Matthew 26, verses 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called, called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. First question I want to ask you guys is why did the happiest man on earth become sorrowful? And the answer is this, our sin our rebellion, our stepping out of God's intended rest in our lives weighed on him because it was going to be finally fully exposed in what he had to go through on the cross. The people he created that he loved more than anything else, right? that he put here to flourish, to thrive, to be happy, to be joyful, were going to turn on him and put him on a cross to die a gruesome death. He became extremely sorrowful. In verse 39, it says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That cup that he's talking about is what he was going to experience. 
the flogging, the whipping. And we're not going to get too far into the cross because that's next week. But everything that he had to go through was the cup. And he prayed to God, God, if you will, take it from me. Now, this is the humanity side of Jesus. We know that Jesus was God in the flesh, but guess what? He chose to be fully human. Can I be honest? If one of y'all knew you were going to go through what he did, do you think you would go through with it? No. He was fully man. He was literally asking God, God, if there's any other way. Jonathan Edwards says this, to go blindfolded is to go as a victim not a gracious, obedient volunteer. In Gethsemane, the blindfold came off. It was when Jesus saw the full force of his suffering that he used full obedience, offered with full freedom, with full knowledge, with full willingness. Why we believe that Jesus became so sorrowful in the garden is for God showed him in that moment everything he was going to have to go through. But here's the amazingly beautiful part. He still chose to go for you. Verse 40, and he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He asked his disciples to go into battle with him, but they didn't do it. Now what's fascinating is most people look over this part, but he keeps mentioning Peter. See, it was Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. He keeps asking Peter, Peter, He says them by name, Peter, watch and pray with me. Watch and pray with me so that you do not fall into temptation. Does anyone remember what happened after that with Peter? He denies Christ three times. Right? Now here's the story for us. God's asking us if we'll go into battle with him against our flesh. Your spirit is willing to do everything right. But what he's telling you is without his help, without the help of the Father, without the help of the Holy Spirit, you will not do that on your own. Your flesh is weak, your spirit is willing. Now here's the thing. When people read that, they're like, oh, my my flesh is weak. They think of something like sexually or whatnot. What's fascinating here, no, he's talking about entering into prayer, entering into devotion, being in relationship with God. How apathetic are we in our relationships to God? Our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. Guys, that's the battle that we're in. The battle is not to go out every day and do everything perfectly right. Guess what? You lose that every single time. Here's your battle. Are you going to not be lazy and actually get up and spend time with Jesus? Am I going to move my physical body to a quiet place and actually talk to God? That is the war that you and I are called to. He takes care of the rest. Is that a lot to ask? What he wants more than anything else is relationship. 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It's kind of funny, but three people that walked with Jesus himself before the greatest event in history. By the way, that's not like a Christian fact. That's a historical fact. Nothing has changed the world like the death of Jesus Christ. 
No atheist, no other religion can deny that. No religion grows like Christianity without compulsion, meaning we do not force you to believe. It spreads by itself. Why? Because of what happened on the cross. So before the greatest event in history, they were falling asleep. Y'all, that's us. That's us. Now here's something I want to go back to now, focusing on Jesus' part. That's the disciples' part. Jesus' prayer changes here. Do you guys notice that? In the first part, he says, God, take this cup from me. The second part, he says this, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Now, there's, what's cool here is if you go to Luke, you know why his prayer changes. Here's what it says in Luke. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours. And here's the cool part. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. So a lot of people are like, oh, Jesus' prayer wasn't answered. Or was it? This is what happens when we pray, guys. My will's over here. God's will's over here. We pray. I may be asking for this, but this is God's will, and they become into alignment. You guys clapped, and I lost my train of thought. <laughs> so this is what that teaches us. If the Son of God, the Son of God, needs to be strengthened... Do y'all think you need to be strengthened? Here's how we get strengthened. We get off our lazy butts and get in relationship with Jesus. Every time I like, acknowledge or reflect on my own life and my own sinfulness, it's always one thing. I've fallen out of relationship. I've put a bigger emphasis on what I'm doing in ministry or what I'm doing in my life or am I doing all the right things than I am on my own intimate time with Jesus Christ. And I'll probably, you guys have heard me say that a thousand times, I'll probably say it a thousand more. Here's what I want you to do after the sermon today. I want you to be really pumped up to just go pray and get with you. What Christine said this morning was perfect. That's what flipped the switch for her. She knew the rules, she knew the church game, she knew all that stuff. I don't care about the church game. Don't care. Don't care what you think about me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think a lot about Jesus, and I want you to go be with him. Be with Jesus. So there's five things I want to take away from this scripture overall. I'm going to go through them quick. Number one, our sin, our selfishness, our rebellion is what caused his grief and sorrow. In Luke, it says this. He literally sweat blood. Now, what's fascinating about this, if you guys have looked this up, this is actually a scientific thing. It's called, I'm, I'm going to really butcher this, hematohydrosis. It may occur in individuals suffering from extreme levels of stress around the sweat glands. There are multiple blood vessels in a net-like form which constrict under the pressure of great stress. Has anyone in here ever sweated blood? Guys, what he was going to go through, and I don't believe it was just the physical pain. It's that he loves us infinitely more than we'll ever know. And those same people, guys, are going to kill him. We put him on a cross. And if he sang that song today, what did he say after he's hanging there? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Man, that scene in my mind brings me to tears almost every time. 
even after all the suffering he went through, his words are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Second point is temptations will come, but we need to enter into the battle spiritually. We fight not against flesh and blood, right? But against spiritual powers. Number three is we need to trust God's will even when it doesn't seem to make sense. God, it didn't make sense to Jesus. Apparently, he was asking God to take it from him. But he loved you so much that he said, you know what? If I have to do it, I'm going to do it. That's how much I love you. God fully exposed everything he was going to have to go through. And still, he loved you so much he chose to go. And by the way, it's fascinating he went to a garden where he frequently went to pray. He went to be found, guys. He wasn't hiding in some cave. He gave himself up freely on your behalf. Number four, Jesus persevered in the garden because he knew we did not and sometimes still will not persevere in choosing his rest over our own selfish desires. And the last one is for those that believe his perseverance in the garden put us back at rest. And that's where I want to finish is this. Guys, we have the opportunity that once again, because of Christ dying for us, winning the battle in his mind in the garden, we can be put back at rest once and for all. You know how you do that? You abide in Jesus. You live through Jesus. You stop striving to be perfect and you live in his presence and in relationship. John Piper says this. This is actually, worship band, you guys can come. This is the center of the gospel. This is what the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross are all about. That God has done astonishing and costly things to draw us near. Did you guys hear that? The reason for the garden, the reason for the cross, the reason for all of it, I want you to understand, is so that you would be closer to him. You guys can stand up. He wants nothing more, guys, than relationship with you. Would you guys bow your heads with me real quick? Band, you guys can play. Father, we thank you for everything that you went through, God. We know we didn't deserve it, Lord. We know we'll never deserve it. But you wanted us so bad as sons and daughters. You wanted us so bad in relationship that you went through it on our behalf, God. Lord, we know we put you there, but now we just stand here and we thank you that we have an, another opportunity at life, another opportunity at rest, another opportunity for peace. Help us to put the striving to an end, to try to obey all the rules and live by legalism. I thank you so much that you died that I can be done with all of it. That's all you're asking us to do, Father, is to be with you, to be intimate with you, to be in relationship with you, to learn to love you, God, so we can love others. If there's anyone in this room tonight, Father, that's unsure what they believe, unsure if they believe, I just pray that you'd move on their heart. I pray you soften their heart. We know you take hearts of stone and you turn them to hearts of flesh. 
that they would go home today, that they would get alone with you, that they'd start seeking you, and for once, the light bulb would come on, and you'd show them all that you are. And all God's people said,